Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Anne Blythe. And Anne is the producer and host of the Betrayal Trauma Recovery podcast and founder of Betrayal Trauma Recovery, a 501c3 nonprofit online community for victims of betrayal. After years of attempting to help her husband recover from his pornography addiction, he was arrested for domestic violence in 2015. Anne seeks to educate women about how to safely and effectively navigate their husband's abuse as she herself is on the same healing journey. She now lives a relative peaceful life with her three young children. I just want to give you a fair warning. This is going to be a deep dive interview. Anne is going to shed lots of light on the topics of betrayal abuse, why it hurts, and why so often women aren't acknowledged for the pain they're experiencing. Insightful for sure. This episode is sure to open your eyes to behaviors your partner may be doing that are causing you enormous grief and pain. Here we go. Okay, everybody, today we have Anne Blythe with with us, and you are going to just love this topic we're going to be talking about, but be be warned, we're diving deep. So um, not for for the meek, this topic, but we're going to be talking about reframing betrayal as abuse, and Anne is going to tell us exactly what that means. So welcome, Anne. Hi, thank you so much for having me on, Dr. Silver. Oh, so excited to to have you on with us. So let's just let's just get started. You uh you're the the producer and host of Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast and and founder of Betrayal Trauma Recovery, which is just an amazing organization. So you come across many, many women who have been so hard hit by betrayal and just hurt so deeply. And you understand truly the depth of pain that these women experience. So you know, at Betrayal Trauma Recovery, you approach things like lies and manipulation, gaslighting, all as forms of betrayal, as well as porn use and infidelity. You see these all as abusive behaviors. Let's just dive in with that right there. Why are these all abusive? Well, let's just start with lies and manipulation at the very core. When someone is trying to control the narrative and they're trying to manipulate reality to have you see them in a certain light so that you don't actually know the truth of who they really are or what they're really doing, and you're in an intimate relationship with them, that in essence is a lack of consent because you don't understand truly what your true relationship is with that person. And it's also a form of control which is the heart of abuse. So if you kind of boil that down to in all in well I guess prob- maybe not all but in most cases of infidelity there's lies and manipulation around it and same thing with porn use there's lies and manipulation to say oh no 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 this doesn't hurt you this doesn't hurt me or alternatively they swear they don't do it right so That type of behavior where you are purposefully manipulating someone to control the narrative of how they perceive you is abuse. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about gaslighting? Because it's, it's just, it's a topic that, that is so common, but I believe pretty misunderstood or just not understood nearly well enough. And I know a lot of the women who go through your program and listen to your podcast are, are the victims of gaslighting. Can you just explain that a little bit? 
Yeah, gaslighting is in essence that, the manipulation of reality. I think uh, before I learned about gaslighting, I did it a little bit with my kids. You know, they'd say, hey, mom, I don't want to, you know, I'd say, we're going to go to the store, right? And they'd say, I don't want to go to the store. And I'd say, oh, you love going to the store. What are you talking about? So just trying to sort of like manipulate someone into being like, yeah, you want to go. Come on, let's go. Rather than saying, oh, you don't like the store? Tell me about that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) so we all do it to some tiny degree with our children. And I'm working on that, actually. Since I found out about gaslighting, I'm thinking, oh, okay, I need to figure out a way to have an honest discussion and say, I'm sorry, you don't like going to the store, but we need to go and you need to come with me. You know, that might be a way to do it with children. Mm. With our spouses, when gaslighting becomes abusive is when it is done purposefully to deceive and to blame shift. So for example, a classic experience many of my listeners have is their husband might get home late and they'll say, you were supposed to be home at six, you know, here it is Mm -hmm. two hours later, where were you? And instead of him giving a reasonable answer and a calm answer, like, I am so sorry, I got a flat tire and this is what happened and I'm sorry I didn't call you, right? That would be a reasonable answer. Instead, it's, I work so hard for you. Why don't you respect me? They respond with defensiveness and then attack. Um, uh, Another way that I describe gaslighting is in DARVO, which is D for deny, A for attack, and R for reverse the victim and offender role. So anytime you've got a situation where you confront someone about something and they deny it and then go on the attack, you've got a abusive gaslighting situation going on Mm. where, and that reality gets very, very confusing at that point. And it's like, whoa, like, was I crazy? Did I do this? I don't know. And at that point, women start doing things like (laughs) writing things down so they know they're not crazy or collecting documents or papers or, you know, things like that so that they can have some hold on reality because that type of gaslighting is really, really difficult. Yeah. And I was just going to say, I work with so many women who they say that they say, I feel like I'm going crazy. I could have sworn he said, using your example, he'll be home at six. And he's saying, no, I wasn't say I never said that or denying it or, and, and completely blaming and then getting defensive. And then so many of these women just assume, well, it must be my mistake. And it's to keep them off kilter and, and it's crushing their, their yeah. self-esteem and their confidence. And I guess over time, they start believing all of that. Yeah. That's the kiss of death right there. Yeah. One of the worst gaslighting incidents I experienced personally was when my husband told me in a very calm voice one day, and I didn't know at the time that he had started using porn again. And he said, I have to tell you something. I, every time I've told you that you were beautiful over the course of our marriage, I was lying. I've never thought you were beautiful. And I was like, what? No, no. And I said, that's not true. You know, blah, blah, blah. I went through it. And then I was so upset by this because it was awful that I told my family and I told my clergy and the clergy said to him, so you told her this? And he said, no, no, I never did. And then after that, he completely denied it. I don't know what she's talking about. That never happened. That's not how it happened. And it was just so like, what? Like That's devastating. Where we had that conversation, like how would I forget or misremember 
such a traumatic conversation in the first place. And a few things, you know, first of all, everybody is going to be getting this by audio, but I'm looking at Anne and she's magnificent. She's radiant. She's glowing. She is beautiful. So first of all, that's crazy. But, but I guess that I'm sure so many listeners are sitting there nodding their heads in agreement saying, oh my gosh, that sounds really familiar. I've heard things like that too, where, you know, on the outside, here he is, he's charismatic and everybody likes him and thinks he's this wonderful person and nobody knows who he is behind closed doors. And that's what's so, it's, it's frustrating on one hand because you know the truth and the mm-hmm. world doesn't, and you don't, you want to take the high road. You don't want to just bash him, you know, but it's so the injustice of it. How do you, how did you deal with that type of insincerity and, and abuse and injustice? Well, for a long time, I didn't understand it was abuse. I think many women go through a phase. Well, I think all of us do where we're being abused and we don't know, and we're trying to figure out what's going on. Does he have a personality disorder? Is this an addiction? Uh, You know, et cetera, et cetera. We don't really understand it. And then after I realized it was abuse and after I realized that his story was so different and also experiencing the stories of thousands of women through our community, right? The injustice of it is heartbreaking. And that is partly why I started Betrayal Trauma Recovery was first of all, because I felt like like my clergy or even therapists that I dealt with would not hear me. You know, I was going to them basically screaming and yelling, waving my hands around saying, this isn't true. I need help. I need help. And they just said, no, you know, you need to stop asking questions. Why are you making such a big deal out of this? Calm down, you know? And And you know what? And I want you to keep going with that, but I have to interject this because this is so important for everyone listening. You have to be so careful with the therapist that you choose, because if they're not trained in narcissistic behavior or this type of behavior, the, 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 the abusive partner will manipulate the therapist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and then you get abused by proxy, by clergy or by the therapist. So then it's like all these helping quote all these quote unquote helping professionals who are harming you further because they're just an extension of the abuse. So the injustice is so extreme. I, I'm a religious person and I remember praying to God, but it wasn't praying. It was more like screaming Mm. and jumping up and down with my fists. Like, why is this happening? You know, like where is the justice? And, um, I don't know the answer to those questions, but I do know that as I have taken the time to heal. And as I've seen women come to our community and heal that my life has become immeasurably better that I have felt peace and that I have moved forward with my life. And I think that justice, even if that doesn't come, we can feel peace and we can move forward with boundaries as we set boundaries, as we find a really supportive network. And I, uh, I, I wish I knew the answers for how that's all going to work out. But I do think that in the future, at some point, or maybe not until the next life, I have no idea, that I will see him receive his, you know, the fruits of his labor, which will be very sad. Yeah. Right? And, you know, I always tell people healing is our job, but justice, that's karma's. <laughs> yeah, know, exactly. exactly. That's, that's really it. So, so you mentioned community. How important is that to healing? Because here's a time where, and I see this in my community too, we're the least likely to reach out because there's so much shame, humiliation, embarrassment, judgment, 
you know, fear of judgment. And we're also protecting the betrayer so often on some level, but this is where we so desperately need it. What are you finding with your community? Our community is a amazing place where women can feel validated and where they can hear their own experience through someone else's words sometimes. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting to me that we don't have words for this experience until we meet someone who's able to talk and give us the words. And then as we gain words to say, oh, gaslighting, or I was a victim, or you know, whatever it is, physical intimidation, boundaries, whatever words we need to define our experience, we're able to start making forward progress. But when we don't have a way to define it or when we're defining it inaccurately, like for example, we're defining it as a communication issue between a couple or mm -hmm. we're defining it as a marriage issue rather than an abuse issue, then we get caught in the abuse cycle over and over again. So as we can define it accurately through listening to other women's stories and feeling their support, then we can move forward. I think the collective grief is also helpful. Mm -hmm. And, um, Part of that is that as I felt grief with my own experience, and then I created this community and women were coming from all over the world and um, just sitting together in our pain and having someone not say it's okay, right? Having someone say, this is so bad. And we all just sat there and thought, this is so bad. And it was so healing because you don't want to hear like someone say, oh, it's not that bad, you know, yeah. when, it's, when your whole life is being destroyed. So the collective grief, the collective validation, the collective uh, words that we learn, the way to talk about it is all helpful. And it, not, it doesn't just help victims. It helps all women everywhere, as we, especially with this Me Too movement. It helps empower all women to move toward a healthier, happier, more peaceful life. Absolutely. And, and I think that one of the biggest things with community is you realize you're not crazy and you're not alone. And that's crucial in healing. And as far as words, you know, we, we talked on your podcast uh, about the study that I did. And one of the things that was discovered was that healing from betrayal is so different than healing from, let's say, death of a loved one, a disease, things like that. Because yes, there is the grieving process, but there needs to be the complete rebuilding of the self. And when you've done that too, you achieve a state called post-betrayal transformation. So that is what, what anybody who's been betrayed can work towards. And that's a beautiful state of healing where, yes, we've learned all the lessons that that betrayal was meant to teach us, but we've rebuilt the self too. So that's, that's just so powerful. So I know you have a lot of people in your community who struggle with their, their uh, partners struggle with a porn addiction. Talk to us about that. And the, the, how painful that is, how, how you see it as abusive. Pornography addiction is controversial, right? Many people think pornography is fine or not, you know, uh, or if both members of the couple think it's okay, that it's okay. Um, from our perspective, so the perspective that we take, and it's okay that people disagree with us, is that all pornography is abusive. Number one, it's abusive to the pornography performers themselves. It supplies a demand for sex trafficking. Many, uh, I've talked with personally many uh, ex-porn performers and done lots of research about these women who are being abused and people then paying or entertaining themselves or being sexually aroused by other people's abuse. And it doesn't look like that. It looks pleasurable to them on film, but to them, those actual people, it's abusive. And then 
Um, secondly, if a wife feels like that's a betrayal. So for example, in my religious community, pornography is uh, prohibited. So if you use pornography, then you're breaking a commandment in my religious community. And with a lot of the women that we deal with, it's the same in their communities. We also have a lot of like agnostic women in our community who just think it's ethically wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, But so if you come from that perspective and your spouse is also quote unquote religious, and so you think, okay, well, he should be obeying the commandments. He attends church. he, He has this persona of obeying the commandments. And then I found out that he has been unfaithful with pornography mm-hmm. as a form of adultery, you know, and I didn't know this is like an insidious lie that mm-hmm. is a double life that is so devastating to so many women because they thought that the man that they married and the man that they see at church and the man that they see serving in their community is who he says he is, but he's not, he's living a double life. And that, that, double life and deception and level of manipulation is extremely abusive to women. And I think, yeah. And, and, and whether it's through the use of porn or just even that double life, whatever that is thinking yeah. that, you know, your, your partner's in one place and they're somewhere else or thinking that they love you and they don't, or thinking and believing or being led to believe one thing. And that's not the case. It's that double life that just hurts so much. And one of one of the, in, in my community, one of the biggest challenges is it's without our awareness or our consent. Someone yes. chose to put their needs above ours and it's intentional. And it's in that intentionality, that's where the pain comes in. Because with something else, let's say the death of, a, of someone you love or uh, some sort of devastating accident, well, it wasn't on purpose, but something like betrayal is on purpose. So what, what are, what are the, the most common forms of abuse that you see in betrayal? I think the most common one we've already talked about would be lies and manipulation. Mm-hmm. I think the other one is devaluing their partner. So in order to make it okay for them to um, cheat on her, right? Mm-hmm. There's got to be some type of excuse. She's not beautiful. She doesn't do this for me. She doesn't do that for me. And so there has to be some intrinsic devaluing in order to justify your behavior. And that is abusive as well. So my, as my, uh, ex got more and more abusive, he started devaluing me more and more. We see that throughout our community and that at the, especially when women start setting boundaries, if they're not ready to make changes, then the devaluing process starts and it is super painful and just horrific to watch someone who even, you know, maybe a month ago said, I love you. You're amazing. Say, no, I never loved you. I never cared about you. Um, you know, it just gets worse and worse. So that I think is the, probably the second thing I see the most. That's so, it's so painful. I call that the double-sided slap. It's like the slap on one side is just the, the pain of the betrayal and then blaming on, you know, blaming it on the person who they hurt is just so crazy. You, You can't even find words for it. So what, you know, why doesn't society understand, let's say, uh, you know, you explained porn as a form of abuse. Why do you see society as not really understanding that? I think we have at the core a over-sexualized society. So at the core, we have, it's widely accepted to objectify women, widely accepted to uh, 
have to think that it's okay to be turned on by everything and everyone, and that is a good goal. Uh, healthy sexuality is love, right? Healthy sexuality is a healthy, honest, open relationship with someone who you are committed to that you can have an open relation. Sorry, I don't want to say open relationship. I mean, <laughs> open communication with, right? <laughs> and with society the way it is now, um, it's almost like an adrenaline hit all the time, right? Like mm-hmm. the next hookup, the next like exciting thing. And love really isn't connected with sex in so many ways. And so I just think the current like situation with miso- the misogyny that's rampant right now and the, the Me Too movement really shows that people don't understand the way that objectifying women harms them. Mm-hmm. And also we've had 5,000 years of men being the people that we trust. And so if you've got two people telling a story then it's like, okay, well, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Rather than a, really realizing one of these people can actually be a perpetrator and they are lying and the other person is telling the truth. We've seen that in the Me Too movement and we've seen that with it's with like Bill Cosby or Harvey mm-hmm. Weinstein where we can have like 10, 20 women who are witnesses and it's still difficult to hold this man accountable. So I think just that type of... Um, society right now makes Mm -hmm. it very, very hard for women to see the truth, especially when they might have a therapist or clergy or other people who are not believing them. But what's so interesting, you know, when you think about it, the Me Too movement and things like that, this is, it's all coming up now. Mm -hmm. And and at least, you know, you you can't change what you're not aware of or you weren't willing to see. And Mm -hmm. it seems like now at least we're in the, a period of time where we're willing to see. And I see it so often with, uh, it, we numb, avoid, distract. And it's almost yeah. like that's just another way to do it. We can do it through food, drugs, alcohol, work, TV, keeping busy, any type of reckless behavior. And it's as if we are so desperately trying to distract ourselves from ourselves because what the heck would we find if we're alone with our thoughts for five minutes? Mm-hmm. We just don't want to be there. And and instead of looking at that and figuring that out, we just desperately tried to to find the next big high so we don't have to see. So why is it so hard to find the appropriate support for this kind of abuse? I think because most people don't understand it in the first place. Like really, honestly, women who come to our community, they have seen seven, eight therapists. Mm. And they're not, the therapist is saying things like, well, let's communicate better. Or let me help you listen more. Or they're, they're doing things like that rather than helping them identify the abuse and set boundaries. Um, they're Like, for example, many therapists are trying to help them attach better, mm-hmm. right? And when you try to attach to an abuser, <laughs> you just get abused more. You cannot love, forgive, and serve yourself out of abuse. Mm-hmm. You can only boundary yourself out of abuse. And so I think it's really just that people in general need to be better educated about what abuse is and what it looks like and what it sounds like. And, um, you know, I had a master's degree. I have a master's degree. I'm not stupid. And I didn't know I was being abused. Yeah. So many women are that, uh, in that situation. I just read an article on CNN about one of the gymnasts 
who was abused by Larry Nassar. And mm-hmm, she mm-hmm. was told people she was not being abused for wow. two years. She said, I didn't understand what abuse was. So wow. I think that's mainly the reason why. And that's why I started the podcast was to start educating women about what it looks like and what it sounds like. We have a free Facebook group where women can can talk with each other and just really start understanding what it takes. And the hard thing is once you know what it is, then getting help is still difficult, right? It's just not very common to find people who understand it. Why do you think it takes so long like it, 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 you know, it, this reminds me of, I remember it's the, it's called something. I, I botch up the names of everything, but it's, I'll call it the frog principle. And basically oh. it's, if you, if you take a frog and you just mm-hmm. put the frog in a pot of boiling water, it would jump out. But if yeah. you put the frog in lukewarm water and you just turn it up one degree at a time, the frog doesn't even know what's happening and would just yeah. stay in, you know, stay in there and, and perish. It seems like that's what goes on with this. Why is it that it takes so long? I don't know. I I think because we're not taught, you know, I think about my experience in school and in church as a teenager, right? And I was taught like, be kind, be gentle, like uh, just all the things we're taught. I don't think we're ever taught like, this is how to recognize abuse right? Mm. And this is what a boundary is. And this is how you can use boundaries to see if you're around safe people. Many of the women that come to our community, when we say, are you emotionally safe? They are like, what are you talking about? Like, he doesn't hit me. So I'm, I guess I'm safe, right? Mm. They don't know what emotionally safe means. Mm -hmm. And Mm I, I, I think just in general, we're not taught that. And so then when we have this feeling, our intuition is telling us something isn't right, right? Something's not right. Then we're trying to figure out what it is. Okay. Does he have a personality disorder? Is it me? Do I need to get a boob job? You know, is it, do I need to make dinner? Is it our schedule? Is our schedule messed up? You know, you go through all these things and you try to fix everything. And for some reason, like boundary does not enter our mind because mm-hmm. we're problem solvers and we're trying to solve all these problems. And, and people pleasers we, too. Yeah. And anyone that we asked would say those same say those same things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think it takes a long time. And I, I thought for a long time, okay, the podcast is going to be about helping women circumvent mm-hmm. the, uh, I call it the fog period where we don't understand what's going on. But then I realized, I just think that's something that everybody has to go through on their own. I don't think that there's any way to circumvent it other than perhaps education a little earlier in life, like when our kids are teenagers or whatever. And I, I, I try to teach my kids about consent and they're nine, six, and four. And I'm teaching about, about consent and, and teaching them these principles now in the hopes that they can avoid that in the future. Oh my gosh. When I think back to some of the, the classes I took in high school and college, wouldn't this be valuable? Yeah. You know, if we learn something like this, so, so, and what you, what you're saying, it sounds like is just be there when they fall. It's like, you can't prevent it, but if you're just there for, for these women when they fall. So how can women who've been abused get the support that they need? What do you recommend? There's a lot of support if you know what to look for. Like there's my podcast, Betrayal Trauma Recovery podcast, like yours. There's a lot of books. I think that going down the narcissism trail helps a a lot. Mm -hmm. And you're going to follow a bunch of different uh, 
I'll call them rabbit holes, mm-hmm. right? You're going to try and like, you're going to learn about narcissism. Then you might learn about borderline personality disorder. Then you might learn about pornography addiction. You might learn about abuse. You're going to go down a, a bunch of different routes. And I think that that process of education is really important. Mm-hmm. The internet is amazing. You can also get a lot of bad stuff on the internet. So finding a place where women have been through it is key. So betrayal trauma recovery is a good place to start your podcast. Um, And I also think really determining what would help you be safe and writing that down. I remember when I started, um, I actually wrote a list of unsafe people and safe people, like basically Mm -hmm. people who get it and people who don't get it. Mm -hmm. And I wrote it down and I said, okay, for the next little while, I'm not going to talk to these people and I'm going to get uh, help from these other people. And that started me on the path. The path is one step at a time, maybe one book at a time, maybe one podcast at a time, maybe one person at a time, maybe one prayer at a time, depending Mm -hmm. on your religious persuasion. But it is, it takes a while to get out of that fog. But I think the important thing is just start walking on that path and you will be led to the places and the people that you need to find. I think that's such beautiful advice. And I would just add to that, you want to do the research, you want to ruminate so you can find the meaning of the experience, but you don't want to marinate in it where right. you're just in it way too long. And it doesn't bring you to anything more positive than you started with a hundred billion times before that. So yeah. finding that, finding that balance. And what do you want to make sure everyone knows before we wrap up? That there is a very peaceful, happy life ahead of you. I just this morning woke up and I was remembering the first New Year's Eve after my ex was arrested. And I was hearing the um, fireworks go off and I was in my bed and I was just clawing at the sheets. I was bawling. I was in so much pain. I thought I was going to die. And uh, it's three years later and I haven't felt that intensity of pain for a long time. And I'm feeling very happy and very peaceful. And financially, things are still kind of difficult. You know, I still have the consequences of that. But the peacefulness that I feel and the centeredness I feel now is so amazing. And we see that with women in our community every day. And so there is hope. There is peace. And I hated it when people would tell me it will get better. I hated it. I was like, no, it's not getting better. This is so bad. It's never going to get better. My life is over, right? And now I am saying it will get better, but it will only get better, I believe, if you start walking down that path, like Dr. Silver said, and you actually start the path to healing rather than marinating in that. You know, you get educated and then you start walking out of the fog. Mm. And that's such beautiful advice. And you're right. When you're in it, you just don't see the light or you don't see a way out of that dark, dark tunnel. But when you're through it, when you're out of it, and I know I've been through the same thing, when you're out of it, you realize, wow, you know what? It does get better. And something, I'm sure there are so many women listening who the thought of peace sounds so appealing and you're giving them so much hope and so much inspiration and so much love. So I want to thank you so much for the work you're doing. You are healing hundreds of thousands of women who just truly need to see that light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you. Thank you. 
Wow, Anne has heard it all, and I love that she's providing such a strong community of support and safety for women who've experienced betrayal trauma. Just knowing you're not crazy and you're not alone is an important step to healing. Stay in touch with Anne by going to btr.org, and we'll have her information in the show notes at pbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. Sometimes people are downright cruel, and instead of facing their own demons, they find it easier to blame you so they don't have to look at themselves or their behaviors. I know this sounds hard to believe, but it's really not a about you. It never was. It's about them. Please find a way to believe that so you can begin rebuilding your self-esteem, your confidence, your health, and your sanity. And let me give you a gift. Head over to pbtinstitute.com and receive my gift of how your biggest crisis reveals your greatest gift. And let us support you. Go to Facebook and join our group, Women Hacking Betrayal, where we give information, tools, and support to help you move forward and heal once and for all. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.